So welcome everybody to our podcast series, Leading in a Climate Changed World. My name is Robin Alfred. I've been presenting these for a while now, and it's a great pleasure today to be talking to Dr. Sally Uren. And Sally is an OBE and the Chief Executive of Forum for the Future. And in that role, she oversees Forum for the Future's mission to accelerate a big shift towards a sustainable future by catalyzing transformational change in global systems. This involves working with global organizations to address complex challenges such as food, energy, apparel, shipping. The global challenges we face cannot be tackled by any one person or organization alone. And Sally plays a key role in inspiring and equipping others to deliver systems change for sustainability. With almost 30 years experience in sustainability, Sally acts as an independent advisor on advisory boards for several global businesses, including Kimberly Clark, Kingfisher, and Burberry. She is also an advisory board member for Sustainable Brands and Johnson & Johnson's Earthwoods Board. In 2018, she was the independent chair of Diffid's Business Partnership Fund, part of the Business Innovation Facility. She acts as a judge for a number of sustainability award schemes, including the Queen's Award for Sustainable Development. And in December 2017, Sally received an OBE in the Queen's New Year's Honours List for services to sustainability in business. In 2019, she was ranked number one on Ascent's list of top 100 corporate social responsibility influence leaders. And naturally then, Sally regularly speaks at conferences, writes for many publications, and we are delighted to have you with us today. So thanks so much for giving us your time today, Sally. You're welcome. And maybe you could just start off by explaining for those who are listening, what is the work of Forum for the Future and also what you're noticing at this time as presenting particular challenges for leaders. Thank you, Robin. Um, I think you described our mission very well. Uh, we exist to try and accelerate progress towards sustainable development. And we do that by helping individual organizations and entire sectors take more of a systems view to these challenges that we face. And by that, I mean helping organizations, individuals to understand the connections in the world around us and to use that understanding to really design for catalytic change. Um, and so in that capacity, we drive transformational strategies. We do quite a lot of system change coaching to help leaders in organizations really see the world as a set of interconnected systems and then we pull together entire sectors, bring in that approach to help design interventions in the sector to help shift uh, the cotton industry, the protein industry, um, and you named another of the different sectors we've been involved with. And I think in terms of the world that we find ourselves in at the moment, I do think it is testing our traditional view of what we believe leadership to be because the world that we are finding ourselves in is deeply complex, it's deeply ambiguous, it's highly uncertain. And actually what we are finding is that what's really important in this world is spending a bit more time trying to make sense of what's happening around you. And so the leadership that is weighted to certainty, linear solutions, doesn't work well in the work that we're in at the moment because we are in a profound moment of 
accelerated systemic change where it's even hard to predict what's going to happen this afternoon. What will our prime minister say, for example, at lunchtime? We don't entirely know. Um, and so we're in this moment of deep accelerated systemic change, which on the one hand is really challenging, really unsettling. But on the other hand, this is where I'm trying to foster the conversation towards in a world where literally everything is changing around us, there is a opportunity to use all of that dynamism and actually influence all these systems to repattern in a way that will build us more resilience as we go forward. Right. And that's a great topic around systemic change, because one of the big conversations that I'm having again and again and again with people is whether the system is really changing or the system is getting a battering through the virus, through climate change, through many other things. As Tom Friedman said, there's a herd of stampeding black elephants that are kind of, you know, storming around, around the planet at any one time. Is the system really changing or is it getting kind of battered and as soon as it can, it will reform in the kind of old mold? That is the million dollar question. Um, the system is changing around us for sure. Um, and we see flashes of that change through innovative public-private sector partnerships, through governments finally taking bold action and being really decisive about the influence they want to have on the policy landscape. We're seeing huge flexibility in manufacturing. We are seeing really positive community resilience emerging. And this is all in response to the pandemic. The million dollar question is, in terms of these signals of systems shifting, will they maintain and build as we go forward? Or will, as what often happens at the early stages of systems change, will the systems innate elasticity and innate inertia just kind of swallow up all these things that we are seeing and I think that either of those scenarios are perfectly possible and um, what we're doing at the moment at Forum is we're, we're tracking different trajectories that we're seeing right now um, and we can see at least three trajectories emerging um, there's one that we cheerfully call collapse which is the trajectory where nationalism really comes to the fore where we literally don't have enough of everything to go around this is where we see corona's own xenophobia um you know there are signals of collapse all around us right now um equally there are signals of what we call discipline which is a government really strong a, a world in which government is taking a very strong role where actually public health outcomes outweigh privacy outcomes and it's a world that's really tech enabled data enabled and then we see transform and that's the world i'm interested in and that's the world where these signals of change that we're seeing these uh evidence points that the system is shifting around us where they build and they gain momentum and they accelerate and in the transform trajectory you can see the emergence of you know a different economic model a different societal model one that is much more aligned with the principles of sustainable development and again on the one hand seeing these three emerging is terrifying um, but on the other hand 
everything we do right now will increase the chance of transform emerging. And so what we also discovered through our futures work at Forum, self-defeating and self-fulfilling prophecies are real. So if we believe that transform can emerge and the more attention we pay to transform as decision makers in civil society, in business, in government, then the more likely is that it will emerge. And that's yeah, the say, moment. Say, say more about the evidence for that, because we've had people on the, the, in the podcast series before, like Jen Bendel's been on the series and, you know, his paper around deep adaptation and feels like there's a bit of denial in the kind of hope that it could be better. And then people like Christiana Figueres on, who's all about a kind of relentless optimism and more along the lines of what you're speaking to. So what's, is there an evidence base for what you said? It sounds lovely and I definitely want to believe it. <laughs> Um, there is some, so the, the point of the fact is there's evidence for all three of these trajectories emerging right now. So I could create a case for all three emerging because I can see all three. But the evidence for transform emerging is looking at what some multinationals are doing right now in terms of really securing livelihoods of their smallholders. So many multinationals have walked away from their smallholders and you know the story in apparel a lot of apparel brands you know haven't paid their orders garment workers are having a really terrible time some brands have done the right thing um, but we see multinationals really working hard to build access to finance access to education to smallholders who are really at the forefront of covid19 at the moment so for example olam big agri-food business one of our partners they've just got a really significant loan from the World Bank to accelerate their plans for digital access to their smallholders, which will in turn increase market access to those smallholders. Um, we are seeing small entrepreneurial activities back to apparel, um, lost stock, brilliant innovation where um, Malpe's, um a platform is pulling together stock that um, has been manufactured garments that the brands have said we're not going to pay for and you can go online buy a box of garments you don't know what it is but it's 30 odd dollars and it's providing an economic lifeline to garment workers so and i could go on there's lots and lots of examples what i think will determine whether or not to transform emerges is ultimately the appetite amongst business and government for structural reform, both structural reform in the economy. So at the moment, this isn't great news. We are responding to this financial crisis very much in the way we responded to the recession in 2008. You know, governments are leveraging debts, they stop buybacks. So we're perpetuating a, a sort of a notion of an economy which is debt fueled, actually, which is then become that's really inflexible. That's an economy that doesn't work well in terms of broadening out to other forms of value creation so environmental social value creation so we need and i wrote about this last week we need businesses in particular to call out the need for economic reform and equally we need structural reform if you look at the two root causes of our inabilities thus far to deal with the climate crisis the fact, one of them is the economic system and its inflexibility, lack of access to capital to invest in alternative um, sources of energy, for example, and then structural inflexibility, structural inequality, which is driving a lot of what we're seeing at the moment. 
And unless we're serious about tackling economic reform and societal reform, then it's not a great outcome. But what I see at the moment is evidence that there's some appetite to do that. And that's where I think we should be paying our attention. That's great. And um, do you feel that the pandemic and the climate crisis require the same type of leadership to move us to those kind of transformation of the system? Are there, are there differences also? Does it feel like it's the same kind of agile, responsive, sensing, transformational leadership that we require to lead us? Yes, to? I think it is. And the reason I say that is um, I was reflecting on what have been the challenges that I've experienced when it's come to persuading businesses or, you know, uh, civil society or nonprofits to really dig in for transformational change when it comes to climate. And the challenges are around the fact that often leaders find it hard to take the long-term view. Um, they find it hard to make the connections between the economy and human health and planetary health. And there is a prevailing mindset which wants certainty and order. Now, come the world in which we find ourselves, actually, whilst the response to the coronavirus hasn't really helped us in terms of taking the long-term view, where it has helped us is it's really shone a light on the interconnections of the world we face ourselves, um, the world we're facing. Mm. And I say that because I've had so many um, leaders from the investment community, business, um, non-profits, uh, multilateral collaborations saying, we now see the connections that um, planetary health equals human health equals economic health. So that is really useful. Um, and then secondarily, we have managed to respond to coronavirus in a way that's ne necessitated us to be adaptive and emergent, to experiment, fail fast, try something else. And so we've kind of flexed a muscle, if you will, in terms of leadership that we haven't really flexed before. And that's why I do think that this pandemic is a dress rehearsal for the climate emergency and that there's so much we can learn from how we've responded to the pandemic that we can keep in a way that then will build future resilience. Um, and in turn, that means resisting the temptation that absolutely is there to go back to where we were because that would be catastrophic. It would mean that our ability with, to withstand the next pandemic, there will be one, um, a climate emergency there will be one and you know by the way governments the climate emergency will be a public health crisis um that's how it will manifest itself so let's learn let's look at everything that's happened and learn and build that learning into how we plan going forward and when you scan the globe where do you see leadership emerging that is learning that so I think what's happening in Europe with the Green New Deal is um, really sort of embracing some of that learning. I mean, the foundations were there anyway. I see the government bailout packages that are emerging. For example, in France, the bailout to Air France had conditions on decarbonisation. Um, 
there is a feminist-led um, bailout package in Hawaii. Um, there are examples of governments putting strings on public money, which is right, to help the private sector. And that's really smart. It's saying, yeah, you know, we will give you access to capital, but in return, we need you to decarbonize, we need you to think about social justice. And so there are more and more examples of uh, fiscal reform policies coming in from governments that aren't just about quantitative easing or a very narrow view of access to capital. Um, and then I, I see what some of the private sector organizations are doing. So Unilever last Monday announcing its 1 billion fund for climate and nature. Um, a really serious attempt to say, if we're going to deliver our net zero carbon ambitions, and if we're going to deliver our ambitions around zero deforestation, we are going to have to invest in land restoration, in soil, soil carbon sequestration. And so, you know, I can create a narrative which I, I feel quite positive about. And equally, I can create a narrative where I feel exactly the opposite. And that is the discontinuity that we're in at the moment. And I'm wondering how many, how many kind of Unilevers there are out there, because, you know, in these conversations, Unilever is often kind of name checked as, as being you know, ahead of the curve and has been for quite a while around these things and has a particular leadership, you know, with, in Paul, under Paul Pullman's reign that, that, that was really ahead of the curve. And are you sensing in your work for Forum that more and more, like if you were to draw that curve, you know, is, is, are more and more people towards that end, which is embracing transformation? Or is it still a kind of, there's a, there's a handful up there and most people are wait and see? There is a slow shift of that bell curve. So if you imagine a bell curve of business leadership, Unilever, um, others have been at that edge um, and there's been quite a gap, but that gap is, is narrowing. And, you know, I think what organizations like General Mills are doing around really significant investment in regenerative agriculture, Danon is the same, um, Mars have got some pretty robust net zero targets. There are a lot, lot more examples of organizations adopting very serious targets. And I think what's really interesting is um, the climate group shared a report last week where they surveyed a number of businesses um, and I think 97% said that their attention hadn't gone off climate because they understood that this was a challenge that hadn't gone away. And the climate group runs something called you know, the RE100 and membership has increased during this pandemic. So I think the big difference between the 2008 economic crash and the one we're experiencing now in 2020 is that businesses in particular attitude to sustainability has come under hugely. And so in 2008, when we experienced the economic downturn, yes, you saw businesses kind of work, you know, peddling back from their commitments, um, just fighting for liquidity. But I think there's been such an evolution in the degree to which businesses particularly understand the climate emergency that if anything, you know, they're just doubling down on this. Mm -hmm. Right. And do you think, I'm, I'm also interested in what the drivers are behind the changes. So are, is in your experience, are businesses changing, if they are changing and more into this transform trajectory, 
is that still motivated largely by self-interest? You know, we need to do this, otherwise people aren't going to buy our products. We need to be green because that's what consumers are asking for these days. Or is there a kind of, and maybe this is too general a question, but, but is there a kind of heartfelt shift to understanding and experiencing ourselves more as part of a global community and therefore with a global responsibility or maybe even a, a planetary purpose for our organizations? Like, what's the drive? Really? I think it's both. Um, and I think as well, um, a mindset shift that I've definitely seen accelerated over the last three months is historically, particularly with corporate sustainability, there's been a mindset that said, I can do that or I can do that. Um, you know, there are winners and losers. And a lot of false choices have been made. So I'm going to invest in climate and not health. It's the same thing. Um, and I think the mindset shift that I've seen is one from false choices and trade-offs to actually, as you just said, Robin, we are part of a bigger system. And our success, our resilience comes from our understanding of our connection to those that system. And just yesterday, I was in a meeting with the board of a major global food retailer obviously online um and it, i was so inspired by the willingness of the ceo to tackle one of the fundamental reasons why the food system isn't resilient and that fundamental reason is the goals of the system are not geared right so everyone talks about the food system is broken the health system is broken these are not broken systems these are systems working really well to the current goal of that system. And unless we reframe the goals of the food system to be you know, healthy, equitable access to nutritious food, then we're not gonna fix the food system in the way that people describe it as being broken. And I was just struck by the fact that this board has you know, been at the helm of the company that's you know, kept people fed and have been one of the really important companies sort of maintaining access to nutrition through this crisis and this crisis has just heightened that understanding of their fundamental connection to the food system and to communities and to their employees so i i think there's always a bit of self-interest but i think again one of the changes in the last few months has been a stronger sense of connection and I think another shift that's been happening, which I've been quite surprised about actually, is um, the mood of the investment community has, is shifting from you know, this narrative, it's all about short-term profit maximization. And I was taking part in a conversation at a responsible investment summit, again, online on Friday. And I was just really surprised by these asset owners saying, what matters to us is the long term. What matters to us is that these businesses have understood their value at risk from the biodiversity crisis, the climate crisis. And so all of the people I speak to in business um, running sustainability functions, they all have said over the last 12 months, they've had more interest from investor relations than ever. So there's a kind of, you can start to therefore see an emerging picture where investors understand that actually long-term value creation is really critical um, that's sending a signal to the board of companies that's saying oh okay so maybe i can look at some uh different investment horizons and then you've had covid which has just shone a light on 
the deep connections that these organizations have into the world around them. And then finally, you've had the last three weeks where the world has been marching and where you can't ignore the deep rooted inequality that we face. Put that together, you've got the conditions mm -hmm. for transformative change. Yeah, I really like how you frame all of that. And, and it leads me to a couple of questions. One is about the difference between working on a systemic level and working on a field level, like field theory. Because my experience and my understanding is we can support leaders to move from seeing themselves as kind of isolated entities to understanding they're part of a system. The system itself is embedded in a field, a kind of a, a wider field of kind of consciousness, of awareness, of connectivity, of, of you know, without sounding too esoteric, you know, it, it is embedded in a field. And, and I'm wondering if you're encountering leaders who are starting to understand the need or starting to perceive or experience the need to see themselves as field thinkers, as well as kind of with a systemic awareness. Does that make sense as a question? I think so. Um, so it's what you're saying. Um, are we seeing leaders both understand the systemic nature of the challenges that they're facing, but also understand that in order to tackle those challenges, in order to use my language, you need to have the enabling context. Yeah, we could call it you. context. Yeah, we could call it context. And we could, yeah, like the system is embedded in something, right? Yeah. The system is embedded in, you could call it a context, I might call it a field. And that field can be charged with many different things, both kind of yes. awarenesses, system structures, but also qualities like compassion or conscious yeah. awareness or collaboration or cooperation or these things can also kind of charge the field yes like so i'm curious whether you're encountering leaders who are also field thinkers in a way less so um because it's quite alien territory um yeah. to particularly business leaders you know you can leave with an mba and no one's ever talked to you about this stuff yeah. um where i I do see it um, is I was uh, talking to somebody last week uh, who took their team through um, a course on regenerative mindsets. And this is a major multinational. Right. And I was like, that's amazing. Um, and you could hear the difference in how I'm not going to put anyone on the spot, but it was how she was talking about her role just in the last six months. And so, that's a little nice proof yeah, point. Um, she told, so this person would be able to answer your question and say, yes, it's about the mindset. It's about us showing up as humans. It's about understanding the activating forces, the deactivate, you know, the kind of st stuff we teach in the School of Systems Change. Um, and I, again, was heartened by that. This is a major multinational who has invested in building the regenerative capacity of the people driving sustainability, but it's a sample size of one. <laughs> yeah, but it's exciting because I, I, I think that's probably the cutting edge of the next leadership. Yeah. It's, 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 systemic thinking will at some point become the new normal and everyone will understand we're part of a system. And then it's like the, the next evolutionary stretch, I think for leaders is to see and understand what it is to be embedded in a field and how we can charge yeah. the field with qualities that will support the systems also. Yes. 
so yeah i'm had you asked me that question three months ago i would have had no example um but i am seeing more and it's requiring people to be quite courageous but again this crisis has taught us that if we're not courageous now when will we be yeah, exactly. If we're, if we're not courageous now, then there might not be any time to be courageous at all in the future. Yeah, I said something um, in this response from Investor Panel on Friday that sort of shocked the audience. I said, well, there's no business on a dead planet. And you could see people go, this is a podcast, so I was rolling my eyes at that point. Um, but it's, mm -hmm. again, helping create those connections. So these conversations about shareholder returns in isolation of the primary and fundamental role of the planet, you know, they're, they're just meaningless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so maybe the last question would be around, around what in your experience have been the major wake up calls for leaders? Like there's, 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 there's clearly things that come in from the outside or see or what we might experience as the outside, like the climate emergency or the virus. Sometimes there are wake up calls that come from inside. You know, somebody reads, you know, Silent Spring or they read something and they go, oh, wow, I have to try to change my life. Or someone's child says, you know, mommy, daddy, what are you doing with your life? You know, can't you see this is what's happening? Do you feel, so in a way, what I'm asking is, can we also engineer aha wake up moments for leaders to start to see the need to shift the paradigm mm. they're operating in as you were talking i think the most powerful lever i've seen is actually when an organization's employees demand change um i've seen that work really effectively and really quickly um more than a kind of talk about you know, we're on a trajectory for four degrees temperature rise. So I, I'd say um, over the last three months, there have been two big sources of stimulus for accelerated action on not just climate, but sustainability more broadly. One has been employees. Employees have, you know, said, we, what are we doing about this coronavirus? You know, we've got communities out there. What are we doing? Um, and also, what are we doing about climate? And there's been quite a strong employee voice. And um, Do you have an example most, of, of one or two places where you've seen that being um, It's just anecdotal. Um, it, none of this will be written up. I mean, this will be me talking to um, my contact in an organisation. And I'm just trying to think if any of this has been published um i don't think it has at the moment it's it's more that um you've seen and i have been to i spoke to a ceo and i, I don't think he'd want me to repeat this but uh -huh. he was saying the biggest wake-up call for him has been hearing from his employees and how important it is to them right that they do the right thing um and i i have been hearing that a lot so I would say that's one big um, mm -hmm. stimulus for change. And then I think just the last four weeks and the really horrible incident in Minneapolis, um, 
I've seen that once and for all galvanize an appetite to do something about inequality. And it's, it's shocking that it took that. Um, but I, I think what we're seeing now is a set of changes that could lead to some serious structural reform. Um, and so that combination, so in, in summary, I think there's sort of three things that have happened that are all linked. So coronavirus appeared and I don't know about you, Robin, but I know two people, I've lost two people through this awful virus um, and it's affected people really personally. Even if they haven't lost anybody, it's affected you know, their family. And um, we've seen people become more fearful of the world around them and then demand change within their workplaces. And then we've seen such a vivid picture of structural inequality that all of that, I think, leads us to a much greater willingness to accept uncertainty, accept ambiguity, and just change the world around us. Yeah, beautiful, thank you. I think we can kind of close here. I don't know if there's any final comments that you want to make, but I found this a very rich and thought-provoking uh, conversation. So thank you so much for your time. Is there anything you want to bring as a, as a end point from your perspective? Um, I suppose if anyone's still listening, um, I think what this whole... I said, I mean, I think we've experienced a crisis within a crisis. So the whole racial injustice within a pandemic is a classic crisis within a crisis. And it's symptomatic of the instability of the world we find ourselves in. What that has really highlighted to me is we all have power. We all have influence. We all have a voice. And sometimes we think we can't change anything and actually we really, really can. So we all need to understand how to use our power, our influence, our voice to create the world that we want, not the world that we find ourselves in. Yeah, thank you again, Sally. Thanks for your time today and for all the work that you've been doing for so many years also at Forum Now. And we just wish you every success in all your endeavors. And you know that we at OMA are very happy to support you in any way, shape or form that we can. And it's very important work that you're engaged in. And thank you so much for your time today and good luck going forward. You're welcome. It was nice to have this conversation. It was nice to step off that treadmill for that Zoom treadmill for a moment and um, just have an opportunity to reflect. I appreciate it. Thank you.